Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hyperconscious Podcast. Alan, what is Hyperconscious? Once you understand why something is the way that it is, now you have the power to change it. Great conversations with great people and great questions are the keys to the kingdom of unlocking your consciousness. Every single action that you do starts as a thought. When you control the way you think, you will control the way you act, and you will control the way you live. That is hyper-conscious. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another very special, as always, episode of the Hyperconscious Podcast. Today, Alan and I were lucky enough to sit down with Cheryl Hunter. She is a best-selling author, actress, model, and resilience expert. Yes, her two books, both bestsellers, are Use It, Turn Setbacks into Success, and then How to Get Unstuck, Seven Steps to Bounce Forward When Life Knocks You Down. Kevin and I always reference Fail Forward. Instead of Bounce Back, it's Bounce Forward for her. Her mission in life is to get people's relationship with trauma and adversity to be more positive and to kind of turn pain into power. She was the Coca-Cola model. Um, She's traveled all over the world. I think by the time she was 23, she lived in seven different countries. Guys, she's helped 250,000 plus people. She knows people. She knows things that we don't. Do not miss this episode. She shared a lot of emotional stories. Um, The thing that she talked about on our TEDx talk about how she was kidnapped when she went to France to become a model. She shared that with us. We were all super emotional. It was a super emotional rep that hit home for Alan and I, and uh, we hope you guys love it. All the feels. Bye. Geographically. Geographically. This is cool. So I would say make sure that pretty face is shown. Yes, true. They're going to want to see that thing. They're gonna want to see that thing, Alan. That face. You good? Ready? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another very special, as always, episode of the Hyperconscious Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Cheryl Hunter is a resilience expert, a model, a speaker, and the best-selling author of Use It, Turn Setbacks into Success, as well as How to Get Unstuck, Seven Steps to to Bounce Forward When You Get Knocked Down. We are super excited to talk to you. We have been researching and watching all your videos. How are you doing today, Cheryl? (laughs) I am doing very well. Uh, nobody's introduced me as a model for 20 years, so that was a long, that was a long ass time ago. Let's just start there. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's important that, that people know you're, you're well-rounded. You've been doing so many different things. You have so many different experiences. And I think the fact that you are a model is, is something that people need to know. Well, it's, it's something that is relevant to my story. Let's right. put it that way. Right. Right. So we always tell the story of how the guests end up on the show, and I was just telling you before, I had a great time um, scheduling this with, with Gary. He helped out you know, so much. You liked a couple of our pictures or our videos. I researched you. I looked at your profile. I was blown away. I watched your TED Talk. Alan watched your TED Talk. Mm. We're there almost crying, and thoughts become things, and now we're lucky enough to sit down and chat with you. So we're super excited, and um, we can't wait to go deep. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. So the other day I was um, watching your TED Talk, and the whole thing, it was super, super deep, and it went deep into your story, and I think the whole TED Talk was kind of a story, and then you ended with a very, very important principle of wabi-sabi. Um, I was hoping to just get your take on that story, if we could start there, um, with kind of what that TED Talk meant to you, and then the stories in it. Um, because it had me very, very emotional, and I think that if we touch on the emotions first, it's it's a good place to start. Okay, good. I I will happily talk about the about the Japanese principle of wabi sabi, but I think it bears providing a little context first, mm-hmm. so that you can hear how and when I learned about it. Because I think no matter what challenges we're going through, it can make a difference. So. 
I'm originally from a little cowboy mountain town in the Rockies of Colorado. And it was heaven as a little kid. And yet as a teenager, I thought, oh, I have to get out of here. Mm. I, there's no civilization anywhere in sight. I, I have to get into the world, into the, some big city anywhere and meet people that I'm not actually related to by blood. <laughs> so I concocted a plan along with my best friend. We were going to go somewhere. I had taken a, a day off of school, played hooky, and went and got a, a magazine, a glamour magazine at the town nearest us. I hopped on my mini bike and rode an hour there and got a glamour magazine. Go bless you. Thank and you. <laughs> it, they were talking about, they were talking about models. And I thought, oh, I could do that. I'm tall. I was already on the boys basketball team, which was probably more a function of the fact that I lived in a really small town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not that I'm particularly good, but I did start. I was a forward. Okay. Uh, but uh, so I thought, oh, hell, I'm tall enough. I could do that. That's like my ticket out. That could be my ticket to the big city. But wait, where do they need models? And I was like, heck, if I know, let's just go to Europe. It seems so fancy and cosmopolitan. So we did that. We got several jobs and saved up. And the big day arrived. We finally get there. And no sooner did we get to France than a man with a camera around his neck, a fancy schmancy looking camera, walks up and says, hey, are you a model? I can make you one. Just come with me and my friend over there, mm -hmm. this big, tall guy. And I'm, you know, recounting the story now, decades later, it, you know, I was a child. It, uh, it, it sounds pretty obvious that obviously they weren't photographers. They were criminals. Mm. Obviously, they had no intention of making me a model. It was a line. But at the time, even though it seemed like it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, I thought, well, I'm a smart girl. I'll figure it out. This really could be my ticket out. I didn't want to go home. I wanted to see the world. And this seemed like a way that I could do it. And, of course, there was none of that. It was just they took me to an abandoned construction site. And two men and me, you can fill in the gory details with your own mind. But eventually, for whatever reason, they decided to let me go. Now, I, you know, to this day, I've talked with people in law enforcement and all, trying to figure out why, and people have had all different sorts of things they've speculated on. I couldn't, and still am confused by why I couldn't figure out why and still wonder, but they left me for dead. Mm -hmm. I, they had beaten the crap out of me multiple times, but there I was. And then I realized the fight for my life had only just begun. I didn't know how to survive something like that. I didn't know how to get through tough times. I mean, not any tougher than, you know, anything any of us has dealt with just on the normal course of events, you know, doing bad on a test in school you know, having somebody not like me, you know, just random, you know, my folks had gotten divorced. You know, there were some things that I had dealt with, but nothing of this level. And I had no idea how to get past it. And I just thought for, at the time, I thought the best I could do was simply pretend it didn't happen. That was the best I could figure out. I was a teenager, you know, it was like, what? I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen, even to myself. I'll never talk about it. I'll never think about it. Ha ha. Good luck with that. Right. But I'm just going to go about living my life. And I then thought, well, what the heck? I went through all of this to become a model. Why don't I just do that anyway? Mm. And so I did, I, I found a way to become a model and, and in the modeling world, they always send you someplace else because it seems like the grass is always greener. I went to London. They said, you should be in Paris. I went to Paris. You should be in New York. I went to New York. You should be in Japan. And okay, you know, I just would go wherever. And, and I really kept to myself in those days because I didn't want anyone to figure out what was wrong with me. I thought, even though, you know, I was, I thought that the way to, to survive was never to tell a soul. 
I felt broken and damaged and ruined. And so the only way I thought I could keep people from finding out my deep, dark secret was just to never get very close to anybody. I, I used to read books all the time. You know, that was one device I could use to keep away from people. I, whether it was, I read the complete works of William Shakespeare twice, the complete works of Stephen King. (laughs) (laughs) Once. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Once. That was all I needed. Yeah. But it was like, (laughs) I, I just used books. That was it. And I, I was in Japan and that's where the next stage of my journey took me. And and I, I used to, unless I was actually shooting on a job, I would stay to myself. I would, I would go to my agent's office because no models ever hung out there. And I would just hang out in this big old conference room because the only people that were ever there were, were the grandparents of my agents, Oba and Oji. And they would just paint or read or just never spoke. I was like, oh, my people, I'm home. <laughs> and they don't ever want to talk to me. And plus, not for nothing, but the whole modeling world, you're a, you're a live mannequin. Nobody wants to hear a peep out of you. It was like, I'm, I'm home. I never got asked for my opinion. I never got asked to speak. I, you know, I had did that career for many, many years, and nobody ever asked what I thought about anything. I thought, this is perfect. <laughs> nobody wants me to even open my mouth. but. One day I was in the conference room and, and they had this this kind of oddball table. Like it was wide, it was made out of wood, wide at one end, like a tree, I guess the tree was, and then kind of narrow, like the tree narrowed. And it was it was odd in that they didn't polish it up really perfectly. It was like they just planed a plank from the center of a tree and you know, sanded it down so you weren't going to get splinters or anything, but they left the eyes of the wood on and, and places where I guess branches were starting to grow out. There were all these divots and dents and scrapes and all of it. They just left it there and kind of made it smooth, sort of. And it was beautiful. It was just, I'd never seen anything like it. And I was sitting at the table one day reading slash plotting my revenge against the men in France. And one of the, the, you know, the grandparents were in there and one of them walked up the grandmother and she says, Oh, she sees me tracing my fingers over the wood. And she says, Wabi Sabi. And I'm like, I was in a stupor, you know, I kind of looked up, wait, what, what is it time for lunch? Does she mean wasabi? I don't know what she's talking about. And I'm like, wait, what? And and I say, what's Bobby? And they they giggle and they come sit next to me and for the first time really start to talk. And the grandfather says that Wabi Sabi is the most important of all the Japanese principles. He says Wabi Sabi states that that the beauty of any object lies in its flaws. And that's why they left the dents in the wood. That's why they left the eyes in the wood. That something can only be seen to be perfect or beautiful or good to the same degree that it holds flaws or damages or ruined parts. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It was, they were blowing my, my mind. I, hell, I never saw anything like that at my horse ranch in Colorado. It was like there was pretty and unpretty, you know. It was like there was fixed up, polished up, and there was not. It was not the, that something could be made beautiful by being damaged. I, I couldn't. I, 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 I couldn't even stay in the room with them any longer. I had to gather up my belongings, excuse myself. And I just got out and I was, I threw my backpack on my back. I was walking as fast as I could, as fast as I could, as fast as I could. Trying to make sense. Like, wait, does that, could that, does it apply to people? Hmm. Could that mean me? And at the time I thought, no, it's just impossible. I'm too far gone. I'm too far ruined. 
these men ruined me. I'm ruined. You know, that's like as far as I could see things as a teenager. But this was the first window in that, wait, I could not only be okay, but I could be truly something something beautiful. Not the meat puppet part of me that they take photos of, mm. but my my soul, my me, whatever I consider myself to be, could be made right, could be made perfect and beautiful by the things that I've been trying to hide from everyone. And it wasn't still for years that I decided to tell my story. I had started taking some personal development seminars just because I thought it would save my life, you know. And then ultimately, once I'd taken everything there was to take, I decided to train myself to lead them, never thinking I would do anything with it. Just I felt better when I was there. And ultimately, I started leading those programs and professional development programs and workshops and coaching. And then that just it, it was clear that that was that was what I was put here to do was elevate people in that regard. But I still had never told my story. And one night I was leading a seminar and there were a couple hundred people in there and I was doing an exercise on forgiveness. And the, the supposition was we can forgive anything. And this woman stood up and she's waving her hand and like, just, no, you're going to call on me, damn it. <laughs> I was like, yes, you know, come on, come on up here. I know you're not going to be satisfied. Mm. And she said, no, some things cannot be forgiven. It's not okay that certain things happen. Mm. And she's right. It's not okay that certain things happen. That shit sometimes happens to good people. And there's nothing that we're going to do otherwise than know that that's the fact. We can try to mitigate it. We can try to work around it. We can pray it doesn't happen, but bad stuff sometimes happens to good people. And I said, I don't mean forgive for them. I'm not talking about setting them free and absolving them of, of wrongdoing. I'm not talking about condoning their behavior. I'm not talking about that they get off scot-free. I'm saying you get to be free. Mm-hmm. And she's like, nope, nope, can't happen. Nope. And, and people in this, in this, this seminar that I'm leading are getting mad. They're starting to side with her. People are standing up. Some people are walking out. I'm like, all right, why? I could give the perfect example right here because I've moved on. I've actually healed, but I'm being still constrained because of a decision I made when I was 18 years old that no longer is valid. I am not a child who can't handle. I thought people would say, why didn't you have these men put away instead of I ran for my life, grabbed my friend and we hopped on literally the first train. Didn't even know or care where it was going. It was just going away. And I thought people are going to freak out and say that. And I thought, you know what? I I can handle that. I am a grown up, and I can answer that. And I thought this is ridiculous. And I had a moment, like I talked to myself and said, I can do this. And I shared my story, and she wept. Not that that's the point. The point is, she wept because it became evident to her that she could have a life on the other side of forgiveness and everything she wanted in life was on the other side of it. Mm. And there was a filmmaker in that, in that seminar and he was shooting or had already shot a film called discover the gift. And it started like the Dalai Lama and you know, like (laughs) all these people, I mean, you know, all these people in the world of personal development and, you know, I mean, it was like a who's who of that. And he said, we've shot the whole thing. I'm doing some edits tomorrow where I'm just going to go shoot landscape. Can I please interview you? Mm. And I was like, uh, it was one thing to say it in a private seminar. And I went home and just stared at the mirror until I could get clear on that. 
it was time. Like it, what difference does it make if I was able to transcend the trauma? If I have a roadmap and don't share it, Mm. like if I have survived it, but never share the it, it doesn't make anything possible for other people. All I'm talking about is hypotheticals. And so I went there that next day and shared the story. And then immediately afterward, I did the TED talk with, that I spoke about Wabi Sabi and how it had really set me free and can set anybody free. And that really was the chronology of the whole thing. Thank you. Number one, thank you so much for sharing all of that. That is, it's just, it's a truly moving story that you realized at a certain point that, look, this happened to me. I cannot change the fact that it happened to me, but I can change the way I look at it and I can change how other people look at it if it's happened to them. I think that it, you, you said a quote in the TED talk, I believe, bad circumstances unite us. And maybe I've never had anything nearly as tragic as that to happen to me, but the fact that we all go through shit, right, Cheryl? We all go through shit, and most people don't want to talk about it because it's either embarrassing or you look weak or you look naive or whatever it is, but we're all human, and bad things happen to all of us. We don't want to complain or whatever. Right, and the Mm -hmm. fact that you're willing to say, look, this is what happened to me, but look, this is who I am now. I I I don't look back on that and... It didn't, it didn't wreck my life. I'm not broken. I'm not, I'm not these things. I think that it's, I actually shared your Ted talk right before this podcast with one of my good friends and she actually went through some, some abuse. Um, and I don't even like talking about it cause I get fired up about it, but I told her that like, I want you to listen to this pod, uh, listen to this Ted talk cause we're podcasting with Cheryl today and she is just empowered. This, all of this happened to her, but she did not let it be her story. She used it as motivation to to change her story, to make a great story, and to change hundreds of thousands of other lives. So I commend you so very much, Cheryl, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. Oh, it's it truly is my honor. It's it's my whole reason for being. You know, it was when I, when I was a cowgirl in Colorado, I thought, gosh, I really want to meet people. I want to know people, and I had a dream of somehow being able to impact people, but short of teaching people how to like milk a goat, I kind of thought, <laughs> I, know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm really good on, on horse, but you know, like it was like before YouTube, like what am I going to teach somebody how to like write a book on how to write, write a horse? Everybody, everything that's been done. I, I, there's nothing I can do. And it's like, it, you know, you bring up a really valid point. We all have circumstances that we would never have chosen for ourselves. And yet when we try to hide them or push them down, it, we get stuck by them, you know, and traditionally there's been one of two options. We either push them down or like flash pretend they didn't happen, ignore them. And then they act out in gnarly ways on our lives or else we trauma share. And that acts out in weird ways in our lives too. So there's just, traditionally been not real not real world ways of dealing with these challenges and adversity and trauma that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves so I really have dedicated my whole life to cracking the code on that because trauma is a spectrum but I I think we've all experienced trauma and that is unfortunately one of the things that unites us all because the way that we as human beings deal with trauma slash adversity, some people don't like to call it trauma, but the way we deal with trauma is, is the same, no matter where we fall on the spectrum. And fortunately, what I've discovered is the way to recover is also the same. So Cheryl, I have a super important question on, on that exact thing. And also to second (laughs) what Kevin said, that story was super powerful. Um, and I actually was just as emotional the second time as watching the TED Talk, but for every listener out there, please go watch this TED Talk because it will absolutely move you. Um, the one thing that I want to mention right now is you've worked with so many people, and you just mentioned that the road to recovery 
and the way to deal with trauma are are very much the same. Um, what do you think? So bad things happen to all of us. I always use the quote: "Our adversity can be our advantage." Um, because it can give us the emotional strength and resilience to go out and do extraordinary things that ordinary people simply cannot do if we can harness it. So you're around a lot of different people. You've seen a lot of people who have come to you with their traumas after sharing your story. What do you see the difference between someone who's on the road to recovery versus someone who's maybe taking that suppression of self-expression road that you took early on? You mean, how do I, like, how can I discern which is which with somebody? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So, so what are the indicators that someone is maybe suppressing themselves like you did early on after the incident versus someone who's actually on a road to forgiveness and recovery? Hmm. You know, one of the things I like to talk with my clients about, and sometimes people fight with me on this, but I think <laughs> to a large extent, our results are a barometer. And what I mean by that is when we're like in the case of somebody who's recovering from trauma, and I mean by recovering, I mean just post, let's call it post trauma. Mm. If we're, generally there's a lot of similar themes that happen. We blame ourselves, whether or not there's any logic to that or not. We uh, get, you know, we're, we're very harsh and, and upset with ourselves and it compromises our relationship to ourselves. It's almost as though when we face a trauma, particularly if that trauma occurs at a fundamental age, you know, when we're a kid, Mm-hmm. It impacts us in ways that we can't really fathom because as a child, developmentally speaking, we're the center of the world. Yeah. And you know what I mean? I don't mean that as a bad thing. A kid just doesn't get any different. The world revolves around them. And so when there's a break in that world, something goes wrong. We have some adversity or circumstance we didn't suspect would occur. We blame ourselves. And furthermore, we, we look at the part of ourselves that we believe was culpable for getting us into that situation in the first place. And we isolate it. We sequester it. We ultimately splinter off from that part of ourselves that we feel was responsible for getting us into the bad situation. And then we just kill off that part of ourselves. Now, the problem is it's usually the best part of ourselves. So to answer your question, how I can see somebody's post trauma is they're operating not at full power or potency. They have a compromised relationship with themselves. They beat themselves up a lot. Those are indicators for me that somebody's post trauma and oftentimes the, the you know the the kicker is we think oh well it just happened when i was 4 it's nothing you know or it's not like i you know we compare ourselves to others it's not like i you know was in the holocaust and watched my whole family murdered in front of me what i dealt with is nothing but it again trauma is a spectrum but it impacts us all exactly the same mm. i think- and i mean this has been like what i've given my whole life to over the past <laughs> you know, forever since I walked out of France, you know, it's like, this is like what I've given my life to as I've really seen this. And, and it's, that's how to tell is like, we're operating on, on half of our power right now. I interrupted you. Sorry about that. No, no, I tried to interrupt you first. So you won the, you won that. (laughs) No no worries. I like analogies and I don't even know if this is an analogy, Cheryl, but I'm going to say it is. But (laughs) so let's just say that, um, I am a boat and something bad happens to me and I get a hole in the bottom of myself. That is my, that is my issue. I'm now broken. I'm now whatever words you want to use. But what if I took glass and put glass over that hole and now I have a beautiful glass bottom boat and you can see the bottom of the ocean, you can see the fish, you can see the coral, you can see all of that. That is basically what we're saying here and what you're saying. We all have these, we've all been dented, we've all been scratched, we've all been cut, we've all been all of these things. And if you, like you said, that is the beautiful part of you. 
the, the part of you that wanted to just go to France on a whim and become a model. Imagine if you let that whole experience just, just crowd the fact that you could still be a model and you had, a ba- you had an aversion to being a model or you had an aversion to traveling or living in a big city or that would have changed the entire course of your life. Or I, men or all that right. nonsense that I, that I did in fact have for a while. Right, and how many people but do I, that? We, well, it's, it's natural to do that once we've dealt with adversity or trauma. Right. It's natural. We are doing the best we can. It's not our fault. Our survival brain and survival instincts kick in once we've dealt with any trauma. And this system override happens that it's like a, it happens underneath the level of our conscious awareness. Like I said, we split off from ourselves. Mm. And then we end up in the present moment fighting with ghosts and, and fighting a battle that doesn't even exist right now because it all happened in the past and we keep inadvertently, unwittingly replicating the same situation, the same trauma. We keep surviving. But to go back to your analogy with the boat, which is fantastic. Thank I you. love it. A glass bottom boat. Who wants anything more? That sounds fabulous. <laughs> the, the one piece, I would invite you to consider that that we left out in that analogy is there's if you're if you knock a hole in the bottom of the boat before you can fill it with glass fill the hole with glass first we have to get the boat out of the water because we're hemorrhaging mm. you know in some regard we've got it filled with water first we got to stop we we got to get the water out of the boat then we got to dry it off and then we can put the, you know, then we got to sand it up and then we can put the glass in. But it's so often, I think we say, okay, I've had this cruddy circumstance happen. Therefore I need to do positive thinking, but no, we can't do positive thinking on top of, can I swear? Yes. yes swear away. Absolutely. On top of the shit show that just happened, positive thinking is like, Icing on a mud pie. Mm. It, it only serves to reinforce that we feel broken inside. We got to handle the shit show that just occurred. Meaning whatever has to happen. Like one of the things I do with my clients is that have, you know, gone through these bad circumstances is we use what I like to call the secret weapon, which is we Use quantum physics. I'm not kidding you. I, I've been listening to, to people talk about quantum theory and how linear time is a construct. It doesn't exist. I read in popular science, time is a lie. And I was like, well, I'm not going to pretend to be a quantum theorist here, but if these sons of guns think that that's the case, I'll just... <laughs> I'm blonde. I'll buy it. Okay, good. Done. So I'm going to use that to our advantage. And there was the time when we splintered off from ourselves because we blamed ourselves for whatever was wrong that happened. We were, you know, younger than we are, than we are now. Uh, And if we could go back and reconcile and put, you know, reclaim ourselves, resurrect that part of ourselves that we killed off and reintegrate it into ourselves, we can operate right now at full power. And operating at full power in the present is different than laying an affirmation on top of the shit show known as some unexpected bad circumstance. In other words, that's the version of taking the boat out of the water, emptying out the emptying out the water that's in the boat, drawing it out, standing the hole down, and then putting the glass down. I love that. Um, Cheryl, so first of all, thank you so much for talking about quantum physics because the listeners have heard me talk about Newtonian <laughs> physics versus quantum physics and all this, you know, energy cannot Alan's be created nor off. destroyed. Yeah, I perked right up when you said that. <laughs> um, so thank you because I, I literally like am big on that. Um, I want to quote something that you wrote on your Instagram that I think is very relevant to this. That's super important. So you wrote, this is a picture of you um, and it, you said confidence. It can be a slippery little sucker sometimes, can it? I help women become confident and authentically find their source of confidence within themselves. This is kind of what you were just talking about with living in your power. 
and authentically find their source of confidence within themselves so that they can be confident no matter what is happening with them or around them. But the kicker is I personally dealt with low self-esteem issues and lack of self-confidence for years. Hell yeah, I sure did. I was gripped by the throat by that puppy. One of the main reasons why I felt self-conscious was because I had a severe brain injury as a teenager, and in addition to being left with a seizure condition, occasionally my mouth is crooked. It's like the thing has a mind of its own, and it just slumps downward on the left side, kind of like it's doing in this photo. So I think a lot of people don't live into their power because these traumas we're talking about really hurts their self-confidence and as you me and Kevin have come to realize is that everything starts with the confidence like what are the chances you're gonna go and try something new if you don't at least believe on some level that it can work out in your favor so yeah. what is your take on you know you're, you're a famous model you were the coca-cola girl for a long time I mean you're you know <laughs> what everyone would consider the most beautiful thing in the world on the outside and then the inside too wabi-sabi how do how did you get that self confidence back when you had these things that were kind of tying you down? Well, I I started talking to people who were confident. Mm. I, I realized I didn't have the answers. That was one uh, spot of luck that happened. I uh, when I came back from France, I, I, I was just, I felt so bad. And yet I didn't remember, I didn't want to tell anybody what happened. So I just was saying to my mom, I feel so depressed. I feel so depressed. And my mom's like, do you mean bored? And I'm like, no, I don't mean bored. Damn it. I mean depressed. <laughs> and she says, I, well, she, my mom never felt depressed. You know, I was like, wow, that's a miracle. But, um, she, she says, well, go help somebody. There's people who are worse off than you. And she insists to this day, she never put it quite that crassly, but go help somebody else. And I started, I was like, but I'm, I'm young and screwed in the head. What's who's worse off than me? Oh, old and screwed in the head and no future. That's how I felt. I had no future. These guys have no future. I started volunteering at old age homes and I started asking them, mm. you know, are you confident? Yes or no. And why or why not? I mean, super simple. And then eventually, like I said, I went on and started leading, taking personal development seminars and then leading them. And I just started conducting these informal, this informal survey with people. Are you confident? Yes or no. Why and why not? And I found the results I found, and, and I have conducted them for, you know, many, many years. The results I found were shocking. Mostly men found their confidence internally. Like, meaning, are you confident? Yes or no? Yes. Well, I mean, like, duh. Of course. It's like a foregone conclusion. Well, why or why not? Well, you know, I don't know. Because it's a Tuesday. Because I am. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, like that. And, and I, I, I don't mean this disparagingly. This is something I actually teach to women as a, a something that is, I feel like, my divine job you know, it's and, and women would say things like no or yes, but mostly no. And it was contingent upon something external mm. because I was recently divorced because my boss did not give me a good performance review because I was passed up for a promotion because my kids struggling like that. You see what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. so if we build our confidence upon things that are external to us when our, it's like a house of cards or a house built on sand rather it, there's there's no control over those things and so i thought well i'm going to have to house my confidence in something that i have the say over that i have the control over and i found for me one thing i could be solid in and it was really freaking hard. I mean, I'm like almost moved to tears right now because at the time I couldn't find anything about myself to feel good about. And I just like, I just like kind of weep for that girl that truly I couldn't find anything, you know? And I said, I'm kind. And that was it. That's all I had. Cause I was like, I can be in control of being kind. 
you know, my parents raised me right, my grandma raised me right, I'm kind and did the right thing, and that's where I hung my hat. And I've since gone on to teach this same exercise, just a place to start, right? And there's further exercises, but just a place to start. Where can you hang your hat? And I've done this with people in correctional facilities and, you know, you name it. And I was doing it not long ago with a group of women who, you know, had been incarcerated and it was not a happy place. And I was like, you've got to find something. I am not leaving here until you find something. And this woman, it was the greatest thing. She's like, I got the most big ass, strong thighs known to mankind. (laughs) (laughs) Mama, that is it. That is it. That is it. Stand there. Love that. Find one thing. Like, you know, we have been saying what you focus on grows what you appreciate appreciates Mm. find one thing as a toehold in authentically that you can stand for and build your life around that that is absolutely beautiful i uh all the feels. All yeah. the feels. Yeah, we were get. We're, both of us were were tearing. I think uh, Alan and I were playing. Who doesn't want to cry first yeah. on air? And I honestly, I'm the fact that you're willing to. You're you're feeling right now. You you we can tell that you're feeling. But that's how you change people's lives. That's how you help other people realize like you can do this too. It's not just me. I'm nothing special. You can do this too. And I'm not saying you're not special, Cheryl. I'm saying I'm not. Um, you are super special. But so I wanted to touch on this. So I have never quit tattooed on my arm. My Instagram handle is the never quit kid. What does it mean to be a resilience expert? And how how can one practice resilience in, in, in real life? Like when shit hits the fan and things are super hard, that's when resilience matters the most. So how, how do we practice that? Well, there's, you know, I've been delving into it a lot, and I like to continue to inquire, like, what makes resilience? What, what does resilience look like, look like here? You know, just so that it's a living, breathing thing rather than some shit I discovered a long time ago, and now I pretend to be an expert at. Yeah. Mm. It's like, oh, damn, this happened today. No! <laughs> <laughs> like at the beginning of this call <laughs> with, with the audio, right? headsets. <laughs> ah, so uh, one of the things I've been starting to play around with is that there's a version 1.0 resilience and a version 2.0 and version 1.0 is, you know, the stuff we know how fast you get back up again, or do you get back up again when you're knocked down? And I'm starting to consider that there's a version 2.0, which is not getting knocked down no, or, or not so rapidly, right? Like doing things in anticipation of what might go wrong to prepare ourselves so we're more buoyant, so we're more pliable, so we bounce rather than crack or break, right? Hell yes. More adaptable. And so the, yes. Mm. So I'm looking at it from that perspective and seeing that we can fill our own tanks and do things that I have something called, I do with my clients called the proven practices list. And I don't mean like they're empirically proven by anybody else, but they're proven to you to shift your state, to fill your tank like that, get you, make you your best. And usually I think we, you know, get around to these things or whatever, or, you know, <laughs> if we're not too busy and this and, and the back <laughs> whatever, like I'll, I'll eventually get there. But if we, if we looked at it, like our ability to perform and by perform, I mean, you know, whether it's work or be our best for our family or friends or ourselves or our own commitments, whatever, our ability to perform is reliant upon us, uh, upon us having a full tank. I think that we'd start to relate to it differently. So I recommend that my clients come up with a list of at least 25 of these things that when you do them, they shift your state, they fill your tanks, they make you more, again, buoyant and pliable and, and bendy, so to speak, rather than breaky. <laughs> um, 
And, and why I say 25 as opposed to one is because we can't do all things all the time. You may be on the road and you can't go ski or surf or whatever, but you can uh, read an inspiring passage in a book or sit and meditate for five minutes or call your mom or whatever it is, you know? So have a list of them because not all of them work every time and not all of them can be done everywhere. Yes. But that's what I think is, that's what I'm currently inquiring into and kind of knocking around in the area of resilience. That is awesome. As a matter of fact, I just kind of wrote down, so we do a Scratching the Surface episode every Wednesday night it drops, and we always pick a topic. I think Kevin and I may do that list and then kind of go through it. Um, Nice. It's going to be awesome. Thank you so much for that. Um, and for the listeners, uh, keep that keep that in mind. So we're running out of time here. Kevin was kind of nudging me like As he does. As I always do. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm like I, I I'm so immersed in this. It's not even funny. Alan, Cheryl, Alan doesn't even know where he is right now. As long as <laughs> when we're doing this, he could be on the moon. The moon could be on fire. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Superhuman curiosity. Um, so I got to ask the question that I normally ask the guests so that Kevin can ask his because we want to respect your time. Yes. Um, the question that I always try to ask every guest is I believe that there's a part of us that we you know we grow we change we evolve we adapt which is what you just talked about but I do believe there's a deep part of us that that never changes and again this goes to the quantum physics thing that you referenced earlier energy cannot be created nor destroyed this is the part of you that just never changed your true north so to speak what part of you never changed hmm Wow, what a beautiful inquiry. I almost don't even want to answer it because the question is better than the answer. You know what I mean? Um, it's There's no wrong answer. Yeah, I, oh no, but I. one of the things I'm dedicating myself to these days is living a question. Like Rilke says in Letters to Young Poet that I'm going to bastardize completely, <laughs> the answer is not important now, it's the questions. Seek only the questions. Because an answer puts us in a static place, whereas a question is in a live space, of uh, that space of inquiry. But I'm, I, as I look at it, it's like, you know, we try to kill off that part of ourselves when we experience trauma. But it's, it's the part of me that's a yes to life, that's open, that's love, really. I love it. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I have a question, and it, I hope he just lie to me and say it as is as good as Alan's, even if it's not. I would appreciate that. <laughs> um, my my rinky dink question here. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. What do you What do you want to accomplish before you die? Like I I firmly believe that when you find your purpose, that that is the key to happiness. Progress towards your purpose to me is happiness, and I think that when you figure out what you truly want to accomplish. You're on a mission. You're guided, and you're going to do that until you accomplish it. So what do you hope to accomplish in your time on this earth? I hope to accomplish – I want to transform people's relationship to adversity and trauma. Mm. And I think we normally look at it like, well, I don't want this heaping pile of beep. You know, it's like I don't want this. I want the good stuff. And I think – if we could alter our relationship to adversity, trauma, I think we can transmute ourselves. Like it's alchemy. It allows us to turn, you know, like alchemy was supposedly the, the, this ancient science that allowed you to turn lead or other worthless things into gold. But I think that true alchemy is our our tragedy, trauma, adversity can turn us into gold Mm. and then propel us forward. And that's what I want to leave people with. I think you are well on your way for sure. You've already changed hundreds of thousands of lives and people have had the opportunity to learn from you and, and experience through you. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful. And I think you're living your purpose. I would like you to plug away. Where can people find your books? Where can people find your website? All of the happy jazz. I want you to plug away. Okay. So my website is CherylHunter.com and my name is spelled C H E R Y L. And I am really excited about something I have right now. Um, I just put together an overview of my whole educational framework 
And it's CherylHunter.com forward slash online class, all one word. And that's a really great place to, to go and kind of get a feel for stuff. Um, I'm happy to give you a copy of one of my books, a free download of one of them. It's CherylHunter.com forward slash get hyphen unstuck, like get dash unstuck. Um, and if you want to hop on a one-to-one call and kind of, and get clear, really have a, a breakthrough session on how this work could help you and get clear on what's next for you. If you feel stuck, um, me or a member of my team, oh, my mother would not let me speak like that. She's an English professor, a member <laughs> of my team or, <laughs> or me. Oh, hell I, I'm no, I will try. <laughs> if your mother's going to listen to this, we'll bleep out the swears yeah. for you. <laughs> like a, like a, me and a member. Oh Lordy. Yeah. Um, I do know better than that. I'm an author. Damn it. <laughs> um, so that's Cheryl forward slash schedule. And you can schedule a call there too. So, that's my thing. Do you guys want to write those down or shall I send those to you? No, no, we'll write them down and then we will, um, actually, you know what? Can you send them? And then I will put them in the bio for the, um, the episode. I want to make sure everybody gets the right thing and I don't write the wrong thing because that does happen to me often. <laughs> unfortunately. That's being horribly distracted by my poor grammar. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. All right, Cheryl. Well, we're going to let you go. It's the top of the hour. I want to thank you so very much for joining us. And I want, I'm setting the intention now that I, I want to meet you in person. I can feel your positive energy radiating through the phone. And I just, I don't know. I think eventually we're trying to meet all the guests that we podcast with. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I just, I'm super blown away. And I, I appreciate the hell out of you sitting down and, and going deep with us. I just have had a delightful time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. You're very much uh, living your mission <laughs> and your purpose that you mentioned. You have, without a doubt, I mean, there were so many aha moments on this call uh, for me and Kevin, oh, just yeah. looking at each other like, oh, wow, that's that's a new distinction. So also for everybody out there, please follow Sh um, Cheryl on her Instagram. It's actually Hunter Cheryl in, in the opposite um, rather than Cheryl Hunter. So. Um, I love the content that you post. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and I cannot wait to, to see what the future holds for all of us. Yay. I, well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, ladies and gents. I anything again. <laughs> no, no, no worries. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for listening to another episode of the Hyperconscious Podcast. Going hyperconscious will absolutely change your life because if you understand why something is the way it is, now you have the power to change it. If you going hyperconscious with us has changed your life in any way, please share this episode with one of your friends because the more people that go hyperconscious, the better this world's going to be for everybody. And if you would kindly leave us a five star review on iTunes, that would help us make more people hyperconscious and we would be greatly appreciative. Thank you. Bye.